I'm sure. Uh, hope it stays where it is. Um, it's great to be with you all. And uh, Rob, thanks for the privilege, opportunity to, to speak to your folks. And um, do bring you formal greetings from your brothers and sisters in Christ at the Eagle Heights Presbyterian Church there in Winchester. And from the Presbyterian Church in America, uh, part of the Blue Ridge Presbytery. There's 18 churches there. And uh, I, I pray for you all every night, which for you would probably be about 5 in the morning. That's when I'm going to bed. But anyway, uh, we are praying for, the, for you all as we look to see the gospel flourishing in your lives as well. Well, I'd like to go right ahead and read Ephesians 1, verses 15 through 23. And if you have that, uh, if you'll just... Uh, Keep your Bibles open. I'm going to be bringing the message from uh, verses 18 uh, through and 19. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him up from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places? far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God stands forevermore. Uh, what I'd like to do tonight is the, the first of your week of prayer is sort of what I see during the Winter Olympics. I, I like to watch the, the bobsled uh, runs. It's just, it just looks so cool how fast they go. And in the bobsled, the, the, one of the key points, other than not crashing as you're going down that hill at 100 miles an hour, is the start. And they, they all stretch and get their cleats in the ice, and then they take off and jump in the sled together. So tonight I'm going to try to do the uh, spiritual equivalent of the bobsled, get you sent off on the ice and hope that uh, you don't crash before you get to the bottom. But uh, I thought I'd do that by looking at this passage because this passage, I think, emphasizes the importance of prayer. Prayer is probably the greatest privilege we have while we live in this world. An estimate of that can be just compare what was required in the Old Testament to, to bring prayers before God formally. You, you had to go through a priest. You had to go to the tabernacle either in Bethel or later on the, the temple in Jerusalem. You had to have some sort of a, a gift, a sacrifice. And uh, it was only through that sacrifice that you could come and, and offer prayer. But since Christ gave up his life on the cross and the, the veil, the the really the heavy thick curtain between the Holy of Holies and the rest of the temple was, was torn in part from top to bottom, we as believers can come into the throne room of our Father in heaven 
at any time, at any time, any place, under any conditions. The, whole, the Lord Jesus is our high priest. He is the one who is interceding for us. Not only that, but he has sent forth the Holy Spirit in the hearts of every believer. And the Holy Spirit intercedes for us on this end. It's like having a, a double uh, transmission center, if you will. And so often we don't know how we ought to pray. And the Bible speaks of us praying with, with groanings too deep for words. And uh, it's the Holy Spirit that transmits that. And we, we need to remember that, that uh, when we pray, we're coming before our Father in heaven who loves us and has opened the way for us. Now, what should we pray for? Well, first of all, I think we should pray for what we really are, is on our hearts, what we're troubled about, what we're concerned about. I, I remember one morning getting up when Rob was very young. I was sitting on the sofa in our living room and, and I began praying and really rather thoughtlessly, Lord, thank you for this wonderful day and the opportunities I'm going to have today and, and please bless me. And, and I suddenly just stopped and, and thought, this isn't true. I said, Lord, you know as well as I do, I don't want to go to work today. I've got several meetings that I have not been looking forward to. I've got some problems to deal with that I have no notion of how to deal with them. And I would rather do anything than go to work. I'd rather go fishing go sit out on the beach somewhere, and Lord, that's wrong. I ask you to please forgive me for this bad attitude and help me to deal with it and help me to go forth in this day and, and do what you have put before me. And immediately, I felt like, okay, now you're really praying. You're being honest with me. Uh, we need to be honest with the Lord when we pray. We need to tell him what's really on our hearts. He already knows it's ridiculous to try to pretend with him. We pretend with each other almost automatically, but God can see quite through you. And he knows everything that's already there. So go ahead and admit it. And many times I have to confess it. But other times I just say, well, you know, Lord, this is what I really want. And then I have to say, but Lord, you are wiser than I am. I can't see two inches in front of my face, but you can see all things. And so you do what's best. Because I'm convinced that uh, God knows more than you or me will ever know. And uh, someone said once that God will do ultimately what you would have asked him to do if you had known what he knows now. And so we should trust our Father in heaven who has proven his character to us. Now here in our passage today, Paul is praying for the Ephesian Christians. And uh, he, he be begins by uh, praying for them that they would have a knowledge of their Father in heaven. He says, I'm praying, verse 17, that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. So he's asking God to, to wipe away our spiritual blindness. And I think we have to begin with understanding that we are pretty much spiritually blind. You know, when you... Remember the story of Exodus and God leading the children of Israel out across the wilderness and there was the pillar of fire by night over the tabernacle and the pillar of cloud by day. And every morning they went out and picked up the manna that God had rained upon them from heaven. And then we see them grumbling and then we see them losing hope and we think, 
Well, how stupid can they be? I mean, they have the evidence of God taking care of them all the time right there. They're spiritually blind. And at the same time, I think we are even worse off because those believers had only the knowledge of God that you find in the book of Genesis and most of, of Exodus. But you and I have 66 books of the scriptures. We have his plan laid out from creation in Genesis to recreation and restoration in Revelation. The whole thing is, is laid out before us. And yet, how often we are filled with fear and doubt and what's going to happen next. And uh, we, we need to understand the condition of our hearts. And knowing that, we need to ask our Father in heaven to enlighten us, to, to open our eyes to the truths and to remind us of the things that we should already know and remember. And so we see here Paul praying for three specific things, and I would commend them to you as we think about what we should pray for. The first is found in verse 18, the first part. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. He wants us to have a knowledge of the hope of Christ's calling. This reminds us that Jesus wants us to have hope. Jesus is not, he is not honored by my worry. He is not honored by my fear or despair or yours either. He does not want you or me to live lives of hopelessness. You know, sometimes we feel like, well, I ought to be worried with all the stuff going on in the world today. But Jesus doesn't want his children to, to be worried. He has, has called us, it says here. He has called us to hope. And uh, what is that hope? You might remember Jesus telling the disciples what their hope was in uh, Luke ten twenty. He says, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. We are going to heaven. He has purchased that for us. Remember he said, I go to prepare a place for you? When I was a child, I heard that and I imagined Jesus was up there in the sky with a hard hat on, building a mansion for me. And when he got that mansion finished, he was going to call me. I was going to die and go to heaven. But he actually said those words just before he went to the cross. And just before he died on the cross, he said, it is finished. And what he was doing was preparing our place on the cross by paying the price of our sins. And that price has already been paid. Our, our place is waiting for us. The welcome mat is, is rolled out, so to speak. The lamps are lit. And all is left is for you and me to arrive, and we will when he calls us. This is a hope that, that we must remember. And uh, understanding this hope, we need to be quick to confess our sins to him and to one another. We need to, to have grief and sorrow at the unbelief of, of those around us. Rob prayed about the, the people that are all around us here in this great city. And uh, how many of them are completely ignorant of the hope of salvation in Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul, when he considered his, his Jewish friends who had rejected Jesus, in, in Romans 9, he says, uh, I am filled with heartbreak, sorrow, and anguish. He grieved greatly over them. We need to be willing and, and ready to share the gospel, to, to share the gospel with those whom the Lord gives us the opportunity to do so. As Paul said, 
in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. So we, we must pray for a knowledge of the hope of his calling. Secondly, if you look at the rest of verse 18, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? He wants us to remember that we have a glorious inheritance, that uh, Christ has earned this for us and laid it up for us. Our, our treasure, as he would say, is in heaven. And uh, I wonder if we, we really remember this. Actually, I don't wonder it. I, I know that we don't. We often forget that we have a great treasure in heaven. Uh, we get filled with worry. We get distracted with uh, daily business. I think distraction is, is one of the greatest weapons of the devil. I'm a, a gardener during the short spring and, and little summer that we have in, in Virginia. And uh, no matter how short the growing season is, there's always time for, for weeds to grow up. And you have to weed a garden. You don't plant those, they just pop up. And worries are like weeds. They, they choke out what you're really trying to do. And, and that so often happens to us because we forget the, the great inheritance that we have. Uh, during each year, I, I read through, I've gotten in the habit of this, of, of reading through the Bible. I have a, a reading schedule that has a selection from the Old Testament and the New Testament each day. And uh, you can find these online. I'm sure Rob could help you find them. Uh, today's reading in Genesis was, I think, chapter 21 and 22. And in the New Testament, it was Matthew 8. So that, is, you know, that gives you an idea of how much you'd have to read each day. And um, by the end of the year, you're through the entire Bible. It really helps me to kind of keep the whole thing before me. And uh, this means that just recently I finished reading the book of Revelation. And uh, there's a great deal in the Revelation that's hard for us to understand. But the main message is clear to see. And the main message is that things are not what they seem in the world today. The world seems to be out of control. The world seems to be bouncing like a pinball. And who knows where it's going to hit next. But really, Scripture teaches us that this world is under the control and under the, the rule of the Lord Jesus Christ. And everything that we see happening is working toward the goal of his great plan. I have no idea how all these details that we see today are going to do that. But we will see that one day. We need to, rem to remember that, that, that we desire a better country, as uh, the believers in Revelation chapter 11 said. They desired a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. We, there's a city prepared for us. Revelation, this is, I'm sorry, Hebrews 11, verse 16. And we need to pray that God would keep this knowledge of the inheritance he has purchased for us before our eyes. And uh, it would help us if we would uh, read, say, uh, Revelation 19 through 22, the last four chapters of the book. There that great city is described. It's also described in Ezekiel chapter 47 and 48 at the end of that prophecy. It has kind of an Old Testament tint to it there, but it's the same city uh, and the same promises that that God has given us, that he's going to dwell with us. We're going to see him face to face. So we should pray for a greater knowledge of what Christ has purchased for us. We should pray that 
we would have this the riches of his glorious inheritance before the the eyes of our mind at all time. And finally, we should pray to know the immeasurable greatness of his power. So we see that in verse 19. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might, his, his literally mega might? Uh, he, he's describing the power and the position of the Lord Jesus. He has ultimate power. No one can stop him. No one can, can call him to account or demand from him an explanation. You know, the, the sovereignty of God, the power of God over all things is such a wonderful, wonderful theological statement that Scripture assures us of. Uh, how, how would your life change if you could be assured every moment that Christ is in charge? If we knew and remembered his power, how would it affect the way we deal with, with the accidents and challenges uh, day by day? I think we have an example of it in Acts chapter 27. Paul was on a, a little sailing ship trying to get to Rome. And it came under a terrible storm down in the Mediterranean. And uh, I don't know if you've ever been on a ship and had been seasick. But that's what these fellows were going through for two weeks. Two weeks, they, they had nothing to eat. They couldn't eat anything. Two weeks, they were being you know, tossed about under the decks in this, this boat, not knowing how things were going to end. It was a, a terrible thing. By the end of two weeks, they were all frightened half to death. And we read in Acts 27, 23, that Paul said, This very night there stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong and to whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, he said, for I have faith that God, that it will be exactly as I've been told. He, he had great courage, but his courage was based on the promises of God. His courage was based on the fact that he knew God would not lie, that he knew that, that the Lord was in charge, and that there was a purpose behind all of these things it it won't perhaps get rid of our anxiety but it certainly will help us to defeat our daily anxiety paul talked about his daily anxiety as a as a pastor uh, we we usually hear about problems before everybody else in the congregation does you know we, we usually know that there are storm warnings out there if you will spiritually speaking before others, as Ecclesiastes 10:20 talks about it, a little a little bird will tell tell it, and a lot of times people say, "Well, how'd you know about that?" And it's because somebody said said it to me. But I'll just say, "Little bird told me." And uh, there's a lot to to be anxious about when you're a pastor. There's there's a lot of stress in the job. It doesn't look like it, but it is. And Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 11. He says, apart from all the other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. I, I, I love that he shares that in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight, because he's the one who tells us, be anxious for nothing but in everything, prayer and supplication. Have you, has anybody ever hit you over the head with that verse when you're anxious and they say, oh, you shouldn't be anxious? Well, you can counter with this one. You say, I'm still a human being just like Paul. But listen to what he does say in, in Philippians 1.6. I am sure of this, though, 
that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. We can have confidence. Yes, it won't make anxiety evaporate, but it will give us strength to endure it. It's sort of like uh, good theology. Good theology won't uh, keep you from having problems, but it will keep you through the problems, like a, an overcoat. We wear an overcoat on a, on a cold night. It doesn't mean we won't get cold, but it means we won't die of the cold. It protects us. And uh, knowing that we have the promises of God and that he is in control and that his power is immense, immeasurable, and great, and that he has given us sure and certain promises can be a protection for us in the rough realities of life. And the realities of life are real. And they are rough. And faithful Christians often have to endure them. I'm sure all of you have experienced this if you've been a believer for any length of time. And that's the final point that I'd like to make. How does Christ usually answer these prayer requests that we see here in Ephesians uh, chapter 1? Well, from the experience of Paul, I would have to say he often answers them with shipwrecks or with uh, pressure or with fresh reasons for anxiety. Those are the, that's what life is about. But for us as believers, we know that we also have this promise, that Christ will be with us every step of the way. He is always there whether you feel his presence or not. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. What shall man do to me? May God grant to you uh, in this week of prayer uh, the time to have your soul built up with one another, strengthened against the, the shocks and difficulties that we naturally experience in this world. And may the shocks and difficulties that you experience be used by the Lord to build in you a strong faith. Let me pray, if I may. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the, the reality of your word, Lord, for the, the, the fact that it doesn't paint a, a picture of, of cherries and then leaves us in a harsh world without any cherries. But it f teaches us to face the grim realities of life, and yet it gives us the grace, the strength, and the promises to overcome those realities. Lord, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that no matter what happens, you've promised us with a sacred promise to never leave us nor forsake us. No matter how we feel, no matter how shaken our faith might be, this promise is not based on how we act or how much faith we have, but it's based upon the faithfulness of your Son, Jesus Christ who always keeps his promises. We thank you for this and ask it in his name. Amen.